Hello, I'm Grongy Maguire and this is Chantelle Fiducci and Pete. Hello. We bonded over our love of reminiscing about weird celebrity couples. The ones no one would believe happened if Google wasn't there to back it up. We want you to join us as we remember when love was young, times were simpler, and we really thought that Angelina and Billy Bob Thornton were going to make it. Every week we're joined by a celebrity guest to discuss the showbiz romance they never got over. So take our hand and stroll down memory lane with us as we remember the the way they were. Hi Chantelle. Hi Grania, how are you? I'm good. How's your celebrity week been going? My celebrity week has been filled with happiness and sadness, all it was. I'm very happy to hear that the ex Miss Kim Kardashian has been taken down several pegs and now has no money and no brand deals. Thrilled. Mm-hmm. And I'm very sad to hear about the passing of my beloved Leslie Jordan. I think everyone is very sad, so we should all have a collective split second of silence for Leslie. Were you a fan? I, I, I'm so, I missed him on Instagram. Everybody was saying he was incredible on Instagram. So I feel mm. like I've got a back catalogue of him. I just, he was one of those people that would pop up on like Will and Grace and yep. sitcoms like that. You just would be so fabulous and gorgeous. And I think oh. he was in Sex in the City as well. No, I don't, I don't think he ever popped up in Sex, because I know him and Sex and the City pretty well I don't think he ever popped up in that but he should have done it's a shame they missed out and it's really really sad I loved Leslie Jordan so I'm really really sad about that but otherwise otherwise I'm just enjoying all the celebrity crap going on as as per normal (laughs) just thinking and just thinking how much Leslie would be enjoying it too 5.8 million followers on Instagram well if every single one of them could follow this podcast then we'd be doing pretty well ourselves they'd all hear this beautiful tribute so spread the word people at the only sort of celebrity romance that i am obsessed with at the moment is love is blind series three i thought you might be i th- I saw it coming out and i thought growing is gonna be ex- i mean i'm excited too i haven't started but i'm excited you know things are a bit rocky in the world the news can be overwhelming and depressing just treat yourself into a deep dive of really good looking people who are dreadful at making romantic choices so you're saying it's as good as season one and two it's it's a return to form. It's return it's, to form. That's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear. At some point, it's going to go downhill, but not yet, guys. You heard it from Grania. It's a return to form. You're safe. That's actually was. That's what I needed. Now I know I can dive in. Genuine. There was a moment where I turned and I looked at my my husband, and I said, "We are so so lucky." And he thought I meant like us together in a, a relationship, and I didn't. What I meant was to be alive at this <laughs> period alive. of great television, <laughs> and to be able to afford a Netflix subscription to watch this. Yes, you are so. very lucky. That is practicing gratitude. <laughs> That's an affirmation. When I do my yoga practice tomorrow, my affirmation is going to be, "I get to watch Love Is Blind series three. I'm well, going to a time to be alive. A time to Indeed. be alive." Speaking of luck, we are very, very lucky to have this week's guest. She is genuinely one of the funniest, smartest, best cultural commentators out there. If you don't follow her on Twitter, treat yourself, follow her on Twitter. Mm. It is the brilliant Kaylee Donaldson. The, the way, way they were. Hi, Kaylee. Thank you so much for doing our podcast. Hi, Kaylee. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are very, very honoured to have a a proper cultural writer in our presence. So uh, it's 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 a real it's a real pleasure. We're a very romantic podcast. Do you consider yourself a romantic person? No, I mean it's, it's weird because I I'm a huge fan of romance novels. I love romantic stories. I write about pop culture for a living, so I am very much that weirdo who has who writes like three thousand words talking about how this celebrity's Instagram post with this person is indicative of this part of all that nonsense. But I've actually never been in a serious relationship. I have no interest in actually dating anyone myself. I just like looking at it from afar. Ooh, oh, nice, interesting. I like it. An outside yeah, perspective. Yeah. I like it. And so you're, you're a celebrity couple. They are 
incredible. Chantelle does not know who they are, so I've prepared some clues to sort of guide her along the way. So, Chantelle, what I can tell you is that Katie's couple got together in the golden year of 1964. 1964, baby. Martin Luther King Jr. has just received the Nobel Peace Prize. The Queen, R.I.P., opens the fourth road (laughs) suspension bridge. And in Hawaii... Keanu Reeves is being born. Oh, that's the biggest thing to happen that year. That's not the only iconic thing that happened because also in this year, Mamma Mia, ring-a-ding-ding, this May to September couple did it their way. So is it, uh, I, I I guess this actually, is it Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra? I, for some, the minute you said 64, I just kind of thought, please be Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra. I don't know how. I just, I just I had an idea. So I'm into it. I love it. I'm a huge thank you for this one, Kaylee. I appreciate it. Um, I come from a very big uh, Frank Sinatra background, thanks to my father. So I've been inundated. I went through an obsession myself in my 20s. I'm very into it. I've always found them as a couple fascinating. <laughs> I always found this a really interesting couple. So this is exciting. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, Kaylee. So why was this the first couple that popped into your head? As someone who talks about like pop culture and celebrity for a living, I think I, I find a lot of people have very narrow memories when it comes to stuff like this. They tend to totally. think that a lot of stuff only appeared in the first, I don't know, maybe since MySpace became a thing. And really, you know, with the, the history of Hollywood is over a hundred years old. And the entire concept that we have of modern celebrity really comes from the very beginnings of those eras. We had fan magazines speculating over romances. We had studios and publicists crafting these narratives about these people. And we had a lot of the discourse we have now, capital D discourse on Twitter about celebrities, we've always had. And when I was thinking of Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra, I was thinking, well, there's this huge age gap, which... Twitter has a lot of feelings on age relationships, some of which are okay mm-hmm. and some of which are just mm-hmm. a nightmare. You have this really interesting generational divide. You know, she is comes kind of on the faces of young, new Hollywood, not quite hippie era, but definitely not of the old era. And he is very much kind of the king of that. And then you just have the the really interesting gender dynamics at play that that come into this one. And then, of course, the fact that for many, many years, Mia Farrow has happily playing up the rumour that she never stopped shagging Frank Sinatra, which, you know, <laughs> I respect deeply. But that was, there's a lot to go into there. But I, I was just sort of fascinated by how much the way we talk about this couple, you know, all the way, it's like, you know, they got together before my mum was born, how much that feels representative of so much that we talk about with Celebrity Today. Especially of the age gap stuff. With um, you know, I wrote a piece about Mia Wilde and what you know the weird hatred a lot of Harry Styles fans have for her, and the amount of people who call her a groomer for dating a man pushing thirty, you know, because of this age gap is astonishingly dumb. Like poor vulnerable Harry Styles, It'd be terrible if somebody in authority took advantage of him. Oh my god! He's <laughs> twenty eight years old. He's but a boy, isn't he? So exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, before we do uh, the deep dive into this glorious couple, I know what all our listeners are thinking. Yes, enough about the the historical context of these pair. What about their star signs? Don't worry, we've got it covered. So, Frank Sinatra, born December 12th, Sagittarius. Mia Farrow, February 9th. Of course, she's a child of Aquarius. So, Sagittarius, Aquarius. Kaylee, what do you think, according to the stars above, the likelihood of this match working is? What percentage do you think they give it? Going by how it actually played out, I would say low. Let's go for 17 then, just to be dramatic. Okay, Chantal, what do you think? I'm going to I'm gonna go like crazy high. I'm going to go like 89%. Okay, well, so according to their horoscopes... It says their attraction can be strong, especially when a Sagittarius, Frank, is at a crossroads in their life. Sagittarius, Frank, can be a sign prone to infidelity and Aquarius, that's Mia Farrow, likes to be free and unavailable. Sagittarius, Frank, will change their mind many times and probably go from one extreme to another. However, their percentage compatibility is 
80%. Oh, I was close. I was close. I knew it. And, oh, God, I'm getting embarrassingly good at this. <laughs> I don't believe in any of it. I think that's pretty spot on in terms of Frank okay. Sinatra, who was definitely at a very strange point in his life when you the 19-year-old oh, Mia again. walks in and he's like, that's, that's wife number, I think, three, two or three. Yeah, wife right. number three. Ring-a-ding-ding. Okay, well, let's look at their romantic back catalogue before we get to the two of them finally meeting. So, Frank, God. and I'm going to do, we're going to have to be a speedy on this. Speed because... through for Frank, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's the only child of a working class uh, Italian family in New Jersey. And oh, that was quite... to be exact. I will, I will take your word for it. <laughs> Our New Jersey resident here. <laughs> Not from New Jersey, but I like it. I thought... If I was, I'd be from Hoboken. <laughs> go oh, on. yeah, your brother, but your brother lives in New Jersey. He lives there, yes, yeah, so I have a connection. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> so he comes from a very, so he comes from an Italian-American community and it was quite unusual at the time to have only one child. So little that Frank was a spoiled little boy. He was his mum's prince so if we're thinking about what it's going to be like to be in a relationship with him i think that's significant so his Mm. mother was this big larger than life woman and she adores she spoils she mollycoddles little frank especially because he's born quite sickly so he was he was very ill all throughout his childhood then when he was a teenager he had really bad skin he was really really skinny He's like the like the scrawny little kid. His mother thinks he's the best thing in the whole world. Then suddenly he discovers a way to get girls' attention. Singing. So he used to, basically, he had this trick where he used to get women into bed. He promised so many women that he would marry them that he'd, he actually got sued by this woman because he, for breach of contract, because he said he would marry her. And okay. the only reason he got out of it and didn't go to prison for it was because she was already married at the time. We need to find this woman. <laughs> we need to find this woman and get her on the show. I think I've just discovered my new hero. So he's a, he's a little scoundrel. So his mother, just to try and control him a little bit, says, look, you need to get married, right? So he gets married to Nancy. She says, um, you know, this really strong woman. She supports him. He wants to be a singer. She pays for his headshots. She, um, you know, when he's on tour, he looks after, she looks after the children. Then, uh-oh, worst thing happens. He becomes successful. So he starts cheating on her, basically immediately, has a big long-term affair with Lana Turner. Finally, oh dear, bad news. He meets Ava Gardner. Oh, that's wow. that's the end. That's the end of marriage. That is literally win. another episode as well. <laughs> that has that to is be another episode. A whole podcast series. He gets married to uh, Ava Gardner. That is a bit of a mess. Finally, get divorced. He's briefly engaged to Lauren Bacall. That ends really, really badly. Let's leave him at this sort of weird crossroads in mm-hmm. his life, where his career is beginning to get back. It's beginning to get back together. He's had ups and downs, but now all these new crazy kids with long hair and flared jeans <laughs> are not finding him and his his gang so cool. He's not so hip anymore. <laughs> He's not so hip anymore. Kaylee, do you get like the whole like Frank Sinatra? Do you would you have been a Frank fan? <laughs> do you think if you were a teenager? I don't know if I'm going to be a Frank fan. Having said that, I have seen From Here to Eternity that the scene with him and Deborah Carr on the beach is basically like the hottest thing that has made been made in film in that time. So I think I would have got that. But he's always been really fascinating to me, even though, like, my dad is an 80s rock boy. I had to grow up with, you know, ACDC in the crib, which was a very different experience. But... The, the particular kind of star he was was so fascinating. Like, he was famous for doing scenes in one take you know he was he landed it on the first go he could sing these Mm. grand songs and hit these notes you know he didn't need to you know before the age of like the method actor comes in like the the marlon brandos and stuff and he famously did not get along with marlon brando when they made guys and dolls marlon brando just wanted to fuck with him constantly you know he had no time for that kind of like showboating (laughs) for him it was work you know there, there's like really hard labor to be in a star and he's going to be incredibly efficiently good at everything he does and he really was for that period i mean he is an oscar-winning actor he worked with people like otto preminger he sold out concerts you watch early concerts of him when he starts to become a huge star and it's like it's, it's like watching the crowds at an elvis gig i mean women are throwing themselves at frank sinatra oh completely the bobby socks was that was him he got upset when elvis yeah. came along because that was him before he was the elvis before elvis big time oh 
hugely, yeah. And he didn't shake his hips. He just had to sort of stand there and kind of look handsome. He had to just stand there and be cool, yeah. That that image of him is so enduring. I mean, that whole image of the Rat Pack is still really popular today. There are still so many douchebags who dress up like that and go on their stag do's to Vegas and really think that there's something. And they really just end up looking like the guys from Entourage. It's not the same thing. But, you know, they still really want to have that kind of cool that he yeah. conveyed. Maybe you would have been a fan of older Sinatra rather than the young, sort of the young, you wouldn't have been one of the young Bobby Soxer. You would have been more of an adult into Sinatra, maybe. I mean, that's another thing is by the time you get to the 60s, not only is he kind of, he's waning in popularity because of the Elvises, because the Beatles are coming around the corner, mm-hmm. because Flower Power and the New York Hollywood's on its way. But like, he basically just holds himself up in, in Vegas and then becomes shock horror Republican. You know, I think that's another thing that makes the Mia Farrow relationship so fascinating is, you know, it seems like it could have been a really interesting way to unite these two opposing generations. And I think it just made that gap seem wider. But, you know, I got it, Mia. I totally get why you were like... Sure, he's older than my dad was. Let's go for it. Well, speaking of little Mia Farrow, let's check in on how she's doing. So she was born in California to basically Hollywood royalty. Her father was an Australian film director, John Farrow. Her mother, Irish actress Maureen O'Sullivan. Her godmother was Lowell Parsons. And apparently yeah. that was a pl- like they were sort of quite conniving because they thought if we make Lowell Parsons our kid's godmother, she might like go easy on us because she was like, <laughs> so notorious. So her dad was always cheating on, um, on Mia's mother. In fact, one of the people he had a brief fling with was Ava Gardner. I mean, she was very attractive, guys. She was was really, really beautiful. Stunningly beautiful and also had terrible taste in men. I mean, she was married to Mickey Rooney for a period and it's like... Oh my god. So um, at nine years old, she contracts polio and she has to go away and stay in an isolation ward for three weeks. And that's sort of a real pivotal moment in her her childhood. She said that it was so, so traumatic and upsetting that it sort of changed, you know, her. She said that was the end of her childhood, basically. And then she basically has a really rocky teenage years. So she comes from this, like, such privileged, glamorous family. But it's an absolute mess. So her eldest brother, Michael, dies in a plane crash when she's a teenager. After this, her parents' marriage falls apart. Her dad starts drinking heavily. They're broke. Mia's mother has to go back to work. So she goes, gets a a part in a play in Broadway. Her dad is in LA. She's with her mother in New York. Her mother is then cheating on her dad with the director of her play. Her dad is back in LA, drinking too much, ringing the house all the time, wanting to speak to Ava's mother, or uh, Mia's mother. And she's like really stressed. She doesn't want to lie to her dad. So eventually, apparently what happens is one night, her dad keeps ringing, wanting to speak to Mia's mother. Mia doesn't want to lie to him. So she just stops answering the phone. The next morning, they find out that Mia's dad died during the night from a heart attack with the telephone in his hand. Yikes. That's an image that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's our fault. I'm going to suspect it might affect your relationship with older men going Just forward. Just a bit. <laughs> so she's got that trauma. They're, they're broke, so she has to start acting. So she basically gets... And she doesn't really want to do like TV stuff, but she knows that's for where the money is. She's cast in Peyton Place and sort of like very rapidly becomes the sort of the the face of sort of the, you know, the flower power generation that mm-hmm. maybe your parents have heard of. Because it's like a soap opera and she's yeah. the young cool kid and it's, it's a really it. racy soap opera as well like i mean that show is huge this is you know when you have three channels that you can choose from so you know you've got you know a solid 20 25 million people watching whatever you do but Peyton place was known for being like the really scandalous very sexy kind of like the proto-american soap opera before you get the days of our lives and things have you ever seen it? it's based on a film that lana turner was in which is actually really good if you ever get the chance to watch it very high drama and she's immediately becomes a massive star and she's like 17 18 years old and doesn't want to do it but has to like pay for her siblings so that they mm-hmm. don't starve and is putting these ridiculous storylines like the, the proper american soap opera storylines that you don't get on eastenders you know comas twins dramatic pushing through windows that kind of thing we don't really 
But we're, we're lacking in that area. You really don't get that totally. these days because <laughs> since Brookside ended, it's really all gone downhill now. So. <laughs> Hasn't it? Oh, what a cult. There's not enough cults and soap operas anymore. We could read, I remember in, in Home and Away, there was always like somebody was joining a cult at least once a year. Really? Oh yeah, Separate. like that was yeah. in, the, in the peak neighbours days when I, I still watched oh. it. Sorry. Short story time, when I was a teenager, my dad was off work for like 14 weeks. And during that time, pre-Netflix, DVD box sets were like 50 quid ago. My dad got very obsessed with neighbours. And it was during a time when there was a cult on the show. So I, me and my sister would come home every day and my dad, on the couch with his broken arm would give very detailed descriptions of neighbours and they're like do you want to watch it again it's on at 5 30 because it's on twice a day and oh my like, god it's one of the most beautiful moments i had my dad spotting over neighbours and <laughs> i wonder if i don't watch any soap operas at all but i wonder if they've quite rightly replaced the cults that were a bigger deal 10 20 years ago with the current sort of iteration of that which would definitely be multi-level marketing schemes so I wonder if people in soap operas now are being sunken in by trying to sell leggings or like vitamin pills or yeah. special oils. That's the, that's that's the new sort of cult thing. We need, we need the scammer that. era. There's an MLM storylines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the MLM scam. That should be the new cult thing. So any so any soap opera writers, you're welcome. Danny Dyer selling leggings well, at the back speak- of his car. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's realistic. Yeah, that, that's happening. You can see that happening. He's definitely going to do that. <laughs> well, speaking of dramatic plot twists, one is about to happen in the life of little Mia Farrow because she's on a set, she's rec- filming Peyton Place, and then she finds out, oh, there's a movie being recorded in the studios with Frank Sinatra. And she's like, oh my God, Frank Sinatra. Like, he's basically my parents' generation. She's kind of starstruck. She met him briefly when she was, like, younger. So she, with one of her friends, is working on the film too. So she would sneak in every day to just gawp at Frank Sinatra because she's such a big fan. At this stage, she's 19. He is 48. Just if you want to, like, just imagine where they are in their life. So she's, Mm -hmm. you know, going in sneaking onto set to watch Frank Sinatra. Then one day, one of Frank's friends goes over to her, taps her on the shoulder and asks her a very interesting question. What do you think the first question Frank got his friend to ask her? I think when you're that level of famous, all you can really do is either ask, would you like to meet Frank Sinatra or would you like to have sex with Frank Sinatra? I imagine that line worked a lot for him, to be honest. Okay, good. What do you think, Chantal? I think he said, how old are you? <laughs> Correct answer. The first question, well, in a way, <laughs> in a way, you're both right. The first question was, how old are you? The second question was, do you want to meet Frank Sinatra? I know how Jersey boys work. <laughs> and the next thing that happens is so, it's so like something from a rom-com. Mia, Mia says it happened. So let's just agree with Mia that this is what happened. So she's like awestruck. She's on the way. She's walking over to meet of Frank Sinatra. Course. What happens to Mia as she's walking towards oh, Frank does she Sinatra? she trip over and fall? She trips over and the contents of her purse fall on the floor. Spill out. Oh my it God, this is like a rom-com. Out. Oh, I love this. So she's like really embarrassed and like all these things are falling out for pa- of her bag. Like is anyone her- else picturing this scene with her like in a shift dress, a little like white 60s heels and stuff and bare legs <laughs> scraping on the ground, a little pixie cut? I have this yeah. so vividly in my mind right now. So she's like oh my god her her brace retainer falls out a tin of cat food falls out and she's like oh my god oh my god frank describes this moment and says i was hers instantly i love that hair man i think it's the hair that got me i think it was (laughs) this is when she still has really long hair like she fully looked like you know, she doesn't get the um, the Mia Farrow haircut until later. Because one of the big rumours that always surrounded them was that he, one of the reasons he wanted to divorce her was because of the haircut. No, when they got married, she had that hair. She had the hair in the yeah. famous wedding yeah, picture. Like, yeah. I will say, yeah. stunning wedding dress. The 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 diamonds, oh. the ring, oh. like that man right. did not half-ass it. Well, we will get there. We get. They haven't even got on a date yet, Kaylee. Pace yourself. So Mia describes this moment. As I stood up to leave, his eyes met mine and my heart stopped, you know. Everything came together. I was just so alive in that oh. moment. <laughs> Which is what every 48-year-old man wants to hear from a young woman. I'm alive. I'm nowhere near death. <laughs> Stick with me and it might rub off on you. <laughs> so he's smitten. Frank is... 
smitten, ring-a-ding-ding, the boy's in love. So he invites her to a screening of a film he directed. Of course, he directed it. They hold hands. So he invites her to Palm Springs on his plane that night. Okay. She says she can't. Katie, what was the excuse? What was the reason why she said, no, Frank, I can't go with you right now to Palm Springs? Uh, The excuse she gave was, I have to feed my cat. And he needs a very special food and I can't leave him on his own. He's very delicate. Very good answer, Katie. (laughs) Katie's been paying attention. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. She said, I have to feed my cat. I have to feed my cat. So he says, that's okay. How about tomorrow? Bring the cat. Bring the cat. He's an animal lover. Bring the cat. So she's up all night. She's stressing. She's like, I don't know how many tins of bloody cat food to bring to Frank Sinatra's house in Palm Springs. Also, she's stressed because she's never been with a man before. So that's making her anxious. But mainly, it's about the cat food. She's really nervous. Just not many tins of cat food to bring. So she brings four, just in case anybody's worried. She brings four. So she arrives in Palm Springs the next day. Frank shows her, look, here's your room. He's very gentlemanly. She says they didn't even last the afternoon. They kissed and that was that. That was that. That was that. So little side note, a nice little touch. Unfortunately, they weren't the only people staying in Frank Sinatra's house in Palm Springs that weekend. Also there, and feeling very awkward, was Yule Brimmer. (laughs) Of course. And the house guest that was Frank's original date for that weekend. Nice. I mean, her second <laughs> well option done, was Frank. Yul Brynner, which, like, the king's seen the king enough, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Frank's a nice guy. He's like, listen, I'm busy, but here's Yul. Have fun. <laughs> She's like, cool, yeah. no problems. I just wanted a dashing Hollywood guy. Yeah, honestly, she could, he, she could have been pawned off on, like, Enjoy. I don't know, like some like Hoboken fourth tier best friend with the name like Legs or something you know exactly (laughs) you know she thought that's not a bad deal (laughs) horribly sexist but not a bad deal she could have gotten like Joey Bishop you know the worst one of the rat pack she could have really (laughs) gone downhill but she did well she got Yul Brimner well done (laughs) but do you think they were just like playing chess or something while you know Frank and Mia were like is that what you call it Grania playing chess (laughs) (laughs) checkmate (laughs) So this is it. Me and Frank are in love. But the big thing is they're keeping it a secret. They're keeping it a secret. They don't want anybody to know. So she moves her horse into the Palm Springs house. Wait, what? Why <laughs> did she get a horse? <laughs> That's a new... She's got a the horse. The cat I was cool with, but she just brought a horse. Teenage Mia Farrow is going to have a horse. All right, cool. Go on. They go for walks. They do crosswords by the pool. They're in love. They're in love. They're in love. And I think it would be quite, I, when I think about it, this is quite romantic because he's so famous and he must be so, because he's so, he's so needy, Frank Sinatra. Like he's an absolute mess, you know, even at the best of times. So I think if you're really young, like this 19 year old girl and this famous guy who probably is like, oh my God, you're the only girl who gets me. I think that would be quite a romantic snuggly time yeah and he's i mean this is like he's still this is like kind of like rat pack vegas time so he's just out there with his with his friends every night and coming home to you after the big show every week probably i mean we how often have we seen this like to this day mm. the 50 something guy who suddenly announces that they've met the love of their life his wife number three her name is chantal she has a vine account she's 22 and she's so mature for her age really it, it's like talking with a grandmother she's so smart and intellectual <laughs> you know, we know that it's such an abysmal cliche in part because of people like Frank Sinatra but it must have been really alluring like I think every woman has had that thing of like Mm. I'm so interesting and irresistible to this really worldly man you know especially when you're that age when you're technically an adult but you still kind of don't feel like one and you really want to prove yourself I, I totally get why Mia was like yes this is the man I will spend the rest of my life with even for he is you know, pushing 50 at this point yeah. in time and she isn't even old enough to drink. Yeah, well, speaking of 50, his 50th birthday party is about to happen. It's a big party. It's in Las Vegas. Me, of course, doesn't go because it's still a secret. Uh, he gets really drunk. So his friends go, oh, let's all go back to Frank Sinatra's house. He's hammered. We'll bring him back to the house and then we can carry on partying there. So that's the plan. So they burst into his house. And who do they discover sitting on the couch with their cat? 
It's Mia Farrow. So the cat isn't just out on the couch. The cat is out of the bag. It's out of the bag. Thanks. Thanks for that. So again, I'm sorry to hop on, but they they didn't notice the horse. I'm just, I can't get over the horse. (laughs) Sorry. The horse wasn't watching telly with them. That was a problem. That would be great image for, right? I thought it was a big deal when boys let me like leave some makeup at their house. I had no idea the real size. If they let you move in a horse, that's how you know it's real love. Jesus. (laughs) Poor your brimmer is just like brushing it every day. So now everybody knows about me and Frank and people are reacting to this by absolutely rinsing the pair. They are taking the piss. Dean Martin's response is, I have bottles of scotch older than her. And Ava Garter memorably says, I always knew he'd end up with a boy. So... Everybody thinks it's just the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. Nobody's taking it seriously. Their friends hate each other. Their friends do not get on at all. It's a classic of relationship. They do. When it's just the two of them together, it's amazing. When she has to hang out with his friends, Can it is an absolute disaster. Oh my she- god, just thinking about that. Oh, it must be horrible. But that's because it's not even just the like table. You know, I mean, just in terms of age, she's closer to an age. I think she's identical in age to his daughter, including the yeah. iconic Nancy Sinatra. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know how, you know, how do you feel going to hang out with your future stepmom and you're like, yeah, let's braid each other's hair and talk about, you know, what it was like at school and things like that. It must have been strange. But also, like, what is the role of a woman in that era for the Rat Pack guys who were all notorious skirt chasers, you know, and they're living in this really, int- like, this cloistered life of cigars and scotch. And in fairness, I think even I have a bottle of scotch that was older than Mia Farrow at that time. Um, <laughs> and there was, like, you know, like, one or two women who were in the Rat Pack. Shirley McLean was in the Rat Pack. I don't think I don't know I feel like her and Mia Farrow would have had interesting conversations because Shirley McLean is notoriously batshit you know maybe they talked about the astral plane together or something yeah um, yeah it must have yeah. been quite a big change actually to go from the previous girls Frank got with were not quiet little wallflowers mm. like Ava Gardner like Nancy by the sounds of, and even like I mean like Lauren Bacall herself who was the one who by the, by the way coined Rat Pack and you know, these are women with big, strong, massive personalities. So it actually must have been quite like a massive change for all his friends to see him with this quiet, meek little 19-year-old girl, which also, surprise, surprise, is definitely why he chose her after all that. But yeah, I can quite imagine her just kind of blending in and kind of getting the drinks in and, you know what I mean? Kind of doing stuff for them and picking up the cigar ends yeah. and putting them in a cigarette lighter always up. in one hand, always ready to laugh at the jokes, always yeah. like, you know, <laughs> wallpaper in a sense. But even then, like, she clearly, you know, there was certainly a meekness to her, but she didn't physically kind of look like all the other women. Like, Bacall and Gardner are femme fatales. They're iconic femme fatales from film noir. And mm-hmm. Mia Farrow was, I mean, that, that line from Gardner always knew that Frank would marry a boy. Like, even before she got the haircut, she was very gammy and she was very thin. I mean, she, that's with the look that would define Twiggy era of the swinging 60s. She's definitely mm-hmm. more in line with that. And then when she gets that haircut, an, an icon is made. So it's so, like, it's just yeah. such a weird, almost silly limit to imagine her. At the time, with her long hair and pigtails and her, like, really sharp fringe, sitting at a table surrounded by cigar smoke and women feathers while men talk about, you know, who's playing the next Vegas headlining act and something. It's such a jarring image, which I think is the reason I'm fascinated by it. Well, so because Frank is an old-fashioned guy and now it's in the press that he's dating Mia Farrow, so now he's very, he suddenly gets very concerned about her reputation and he thinks he's ruining this poor, innocent gal's reputation. So he's like, okay, we need to get married because all this back and forth, your name in the paper, it's ruining your reputation. So they get married in 1966. She's 21. He's 50 weirdly for such an icon like the pictures are so iconic and gorgeous the actual wedding itself was very hurried and there wasn't many people there it was very kind of last minute they look kind of it looked amazing but it did look a bit like a courthouse wedding <laughs> it looked it looked like they didn't have it, like maybe a couple of witnesses they found on the way there it did it looked like it was just it was as it always was just frank and mia and the Almost. speed of it had a lot of people. It didn't really help them in terms of like, oh, they're so lovely, they just had to be married quickly. The thought was, someone's expecting. Which... Yeah. Well, so almost immediately, people are like, this is not going to last. So Frank Sinatra's mother said, this one doesn't talk. She doesn't eat. What does she do? 
So <laughs> she's so not funny. a fan. I got to say, whatever you might think about Frank or anything, I think we all know his mom sounds rad. <laughs> she sounds great. <laughs> sounds like if you turned up to her house, she'd have a bowl of pasta. You'd have to eat the whole thing in one sitting. <laughs> So she's not impressed. And then also because, you know, they had this whirlwind. They had this like huge, intense connection. But um, he's a Republican, pro-war in Vietnam. He doesn't want kids. She finds all his friends really annoying. She's a Democrat. She's like a fan of Robert Kennedy. So that's also causing drama in their private life. You know, something is like that, that stereotype do you get more conservative as you get older because Frank Sinatra did march you know for civil rights he was kind of I think you would probably like traditional American Democrat which is really not that left wing it's probably more center left but oh, you know yeah he was pretty liberal though he was pretty he was a pretty liberal guy I think I think it's somewhat safe to say that he kind of became Republican after Kennedy fucked him over not to get too deep into the whole Kennedy Sinatra situation it does seem very much like his political views were just kind of out of spite. The, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's definitely of the um, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours era of politics, which is pure Nixon. Yeah. And, you know, he's from the mob era <laughs> exactly, yeah. of, you know, especially Vegas in that era was completely a town with no laws before mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, the kind of family-friendly destination where you can go see Celine Dion and things. So it's so fascinating that, like, what did they talk about other than the cats? Was the sex that good? Well, yes, very good question. Kayleigh. Okay, okay. What were their conversations? Well, then, okay, so this is something we can explore now. Kaylee, I want to take you on a trip of imagination. It is 1966. You just get a phone call. Frank and Mia have or Frank's got a, a private jet just waiting. Pack your cat food. You're heading for a night in the town with Frank and Mia at the height of their romance. What do you imagine a night out with Frank and Mia would be like? I don't imagine that they'd be alone. I imagine he'd be surrounded by every yes man that he is employed from the New Jersey area. Yeah, so a lot of old crew. Maybe Dean Martin would be there. Uh, so, so Frank, so I think the thing with Frank is that he really was a man of habit and like he'll go to the same clubs every single time. He's got, you know, everyone knows yeah. who he is and where his drink order is always on standby and where everyone loves mm. him. And, you know, which woman have you got with you this time, yeah. Frankie? That kind of thing. It's not a night of romance. I I get the feeling that he's a man that is capable of romance when other people are around. Like the stories, all the stories of him being romantic is when there's just Mia Farrow in the room. He's not a man who's like holding him on his arm and like asking for how was your day, darling. You know. Yeah. So do you think he's ordering our drinks? He's probably ordering our drinks, ordering our food. It's just arriving. You know, Dean Martin's there. He's drunk. I think Mia. It's just there. <laughs> I think anyone who comes there, I think if Kaylee turned up, any of us turned up, it would just be us. We'd just be there as well. I, don't, I can't imagine Frank asking that many questions. Mia might. Mia might ask us questions. Yeah. But I can't imagine that Frank would take a huge interest beyond like, do you like the show, kid? Beyond that. <laughs> nice I tell you the story things. that I've told 18 times before and you yeah. still have to laugh at it like it was the first time. Yeah, exactly. And then every now and then he'd break into like, fly me to the moon. He'd just sort of break into crooning. <laughs> okay, so we've had dinner. Where are we going next? Are we go- Do you think are we going to like a Rat Pack performance? Do you sort of sit by the stage and then like go, oh, look at them all happy. Is it like, is it going out with Frank Sinatra at this time? Is it like going out with somebody who's big into improv? Will you have to go see them do improv with friends and go, oh, so good. <laughs> I don't think he was really the improv one of the group. I think that was really Dean Martin, and I think that had more to do with the booze than anything else. <laughs> and do Dean I Martin, imagine- he, just wa- he just wanted to drink scotch and watch westerns. Like, I respect <laughs> that, you know. He's probably the one that I would have hung out with most out of the patch. The only one I would probably be able to hold down, like, a 10-minute conversation with. Yeah. May- I, maybe I, I, Shirley I- MacLaine, but that, that that's a stretch. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna say something. I could be wrong. I get a vibe from Shirley MacLaine that she enjoyed being the only girl in the gang and would not be nice to the girlfriends. Yeah, I see. I oh, that's see a very 1960. I mean, I say 1960s. That's an eternal mm. thing. But I think Shirley MacLaine was definitely that woman, especially if Warren Beatty is your brother and you yeah. have him and all his friends. You're used to being like the girl that's cool enough to hang out with the guys. And also, <laughs> if Warren Beatty is your brother, you're used to girls trying to use you to get mm. to your hot brother and his hot friends so i imagine she in her defense was probably very bored of girls be- being friendly with her just to get to the rat pack so in shirley's defense i can imagine her being a bit sort of cool and off 
with new girls on the scene. I, I kind of get mm. it. And she's very much, I think, the bridge between old generation and new for them. Like, she's still very much like, like Warren Beatty started out as, was a studio actor, where you signed up with a studio and they told you what to do. But both McLean and Beatty did that thing where they broke off and started carving out weird, interesting careers from themselves. Whereas Sinatra yeah. did do some interesting stuff into the 60s, 70s onwards, but he, you know, he fully oh, yeah, embraces yeah. being a nostalgia act. I mean, when he goes on tour in the yeah. 80s and 90s and can't remember the words to half of his own songs anymore, like, just getting kind of pushed on stage by Frank Jr. and being like, come on, Dad, let's, you know, my way, you know that one? Go sing my way. Yeah, so yeah. I would at least get that kind of vibe, definitely. So, mm. yeah. Bless Mia for hanging on as long as she did in that front, because also he didn't want I think he really did want someone to provide for. He really wanted, like, unlike Ava Gardner, who was a huge star and made so much money and was an Oscar nominee and, you know, true icon. At this point in time, no one, like, people know who Mia Farrow is, but she's not established. I think he really did want someone to just kind of follow him around and keep things the way that they were in his life, which to ask that of anyone is hard, but to ask that of a 21-year-old, I mean, you're asking for trouble just with that. Sure. Yeah. Well, so there are problems in the relationship. I think it's an example of things that maybe he found really cute and endearing at the start are start. He's starting to find a little bit, a little bit tedious <laughs> and annoying. So apparently, she liked to talk in sign language to her cat. Cat's new sign, sign language. She hasn't even started dropping drugs of the Beatles yet. This right? is when she's so far. Her brain's her brain still. This is as good as it's ever going to get for her brain. <laughs> So Frank used to find this really annoying. It really, really got in his nerves. So that's so the kind of thing a young girl would do, thinking, oh, this is quirky and cute. Boys love this. And then boys do love it for about a month. And then they find it really fucking irritating. That's that's so 21-year-old. It's so contrived. So one time he got so annoyed by this that he lit a cherry bomb and set it by the cat's food bowl. So then the cherry bomb explodes, the cat runs off, and Frank says, Death? I'm Team Frank. I am super Team Frank here. Casual animal abuse was just a thing you could get away with in the early 60s, you know. Times are different. He knew that cat could hear. Damn, what culture ruined another thing for us. So they're, you know, they're rowing all the time. They're not getting on. He's like, they're splitting up. Then he gets drunk. He rings her in the middle of the night. He thinks she's the only one who understands him. They get oh. back together. So then they decide, they make a rule that he can, she can only make one movie a year. Mm. So that's it. They're only going to make one movie a year. And he decides that first movie they're going, she's going to be in is a movie that he's directing. He's decided this. But uh uh-oh, ring, ring, ring. It's her agent. She's been offered a part in a little film called Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. So she's like, oh, sorry, Frank. I'm going to be in Rosemary's Baby. But it's fine because the shoot, it's not a long shoot. And I can still do this film that you're directing, which will obviously definitely be really good and not a complete boring turkey. So, uh uh-oh, problems arrive arise quite early on because the film is overrunning so she was supposed to be able to do both films but now because it's overrunning she can't so frank is ringing her up you know being like you have to walk off the set you have to walk off the set this is ridiculous you know just stand up to the producer he's ringing up the producer he's like you need to get mia off the set mia's leaving why is mia's he quitting the- frank call roman polanski you both got young girls in common give him a bell i'm sure you guys have a lot to chinwag about <laughs> So he's wrecking that Robert Evans is producing it. He's like, you need to shut this out. Mia's leaving. Mia doesn't know what to do. She's panicking. She doesn't know what to do. So that eventually Robert Evans has to take her in, show her a screening of some of the early bits of the film Mm -hmm. to show her, look, this is a really big film. You cannot walk off it. This is going to make you a star. Mm. Don't leave. So Mia makes her choice and decides to stay on on Rosemary's baby. She doesn't quit. And what happens is she doesn't hear Woody or Woody <laughs> ugh, foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> Frank basically just ghosts her. So he cuts off all contact with her, doesn't ring her again, doesn't contact her and just sends a lawyer to the set of the film 
with the divorce papers. Wow, savage. I mean, he said these are the rules and she agreed to them and then went back on him. Sorry, 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 Mia, but you did agree to them and then say no to him. What do you want? Don't sign up to the rules in the first place. Hint, hint. <laughs> so this is it. And she's apparently she was like, fine. She didn't like ask for money off him. She just was like, look, somebody doesn't want to get married, be married to me anymore. They don't want to be married to me anymore. She knew. She knew. She's like, this film's going to be massive. I think, I think I'll think i survive without this old man in my life. She knew. <laughs> and so it how did she... either. I mean, that. I mean, I actually recently watched Rosemary's Baby again for the first time in a long time. Uh, still really good. I mean, fuck Roman Polanski and all of that. But like, that film is still terrifying. That film is just so creepy and weirdly darkly funny. And it does not work without her at the center of it. Totally, yeah. Big eyes and that short hair, just watching this woman be degraded and gaslit yeah. and just beaten down by all of these just evil old people who live mm-hmm. in her house it, it is great it really held up whereas you know the detective who the hell talks about that one it's not your best frank well don't worry about our girl mia she's going to get over the break of her marriage frank sinatra by flying to an ashram in india with the beatles to study meditation and take loads of drugs i mean that's the way you do it that's that's the way you do it you know, it's gone from being a romantic comedy to like eat, pray, love, but with <laughs> way more drugs. But that's very Mia Farrow. I mean, the girl spoke silently to her cat. She is eat, pray, love. That's say. I mean, she may be the she may be the kind of victim here, so to speak, in terms of her age and everything. But she also is still very much that white woman who flies. I'm still going to India. Also, now, it's guys. 1968. If you weren't flying out to an ashram to meditate and right? pretend you found enlightenment, you know, yeah. what, were you, what were you doing? <laughs> what like, it's that go to Vietnam, you know. so she's off with uh, the ashram with the beatles meanwhile uh, frank sinatra is also moving on and in uh, 1976 he gets married to barbara and weird she was married to one of the marx brothers Oh, she likes entertainers. Yeah, she was married to Zeppo Marx. Uh, so Mia, she comes back. She gets married to musician Andrew Previn in 1970. Should have tried they to have with that chill- one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another wing week when you uh, when you meet a guy and he's uh, still married to someone else, and then you get pregnant. You gotta you gotta iron out a few creases there. Yeah. Listen, interesting people live complicated lives. Very true. <laughs> They're artists, damn it. <laughs> That's whenever I forget to do anything, I always say that to my husband. Interesting people live complicated lives. And is he like, interesting people also either hire cleaners or do the dishes themselves, Grania? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot to get the milk. Interesting, interesting people, people live complicated lives. <laughs> so she and Andre split in 1979. And then she meets and starts dating a little comedian called Woody Allen. Let's just say, don't date a comedian. If you listen to this podcast, if you get nothing from this, just don't date a comedian. Don't go, don't probably, go out with it. It's probably not worth it. So obviously, um, even from as early as 1971, mm-hmm. Mia Farrow said she still had warm feelings for Frank, saying that he'd often call her mother to find out how Mia was doing. How long were they and together said, in total? I'm sorry, Dintra. How long were they together in total? Okay, so two and a half, got... three, three years? So they were married for two years okay. and I think they're going out for about two years. So they were together, I think, about four years old. That's actually longer than I thought. That's actually a lot longer than I thought. So this is what she says about their time together. Mm. She said, I was less mature than any other 19-year-old I've ever known. Poor Frank to be saddled with such a child. I would be falling asleep at a table at Las Vegas trying to talk to people about their cats. He was very patient with Jesus me. Jesus Christ, her and the goddamn cats. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> She said, in terms of what Frank would say, I shouldn't have done any movies. He's on the record saying, I'm a pretty good provider. I can't see why a woman would want to do anything else. That's the way men thought then. And you felt pretty guilty wanting to do something for yourself. And then the interviewer said, do you think if you'd flown around the world with him and just sat by his side the whole time, would you still be together? And Mia said, yes. Because then he came back over and over and over and over. I mean, we never really split up. They never really split. I love the idea almost of him being like her side piece. You know, like him <laughs> chasing her in a sense. I actually yeah. like, yeah. you know, that that's feminism right there. Imagine if you're, you'd be like, oh, my ex-husband 
Frank Sinatra, have you heard about him? We're still really good friends. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if she needed someone whacked, it was dealt with. He's just, like, obsessed with me. <laughs> okay, well, so, speaking of getting somebody whacked, after the whole, let's say, acrimony of Mia's split from Woody Allen, um, Frank got involved very straight away. First of all, he offered to break the filmmaker's legs, and this is what she said he said. So she rang him up. She was really upset. He said, don't worry about it. Then shortly afterwards, she got a call from a man who told her, don't talk on the phone. Meet me at 72nd in Columbus, Tuesday at 11 a.m. I'm in a grey sedan. And Mia said she was so st- stressed, she had to look up the word sedan. Oh, my God. If I got a phone call like that, literally my nipples would go hard immediately. <laughs> He's so turned on by that. Like, okay, my ex. I, I'd like buy a trench coat and new sunglasses just for the occasion. <laughs> just like we go meet the car. So the car pulled up at the appointed hour. The back door flew open, <gasps> and the driver motioned her to get in. He I didn't even turn around. So I'm oh. assuming Frank's driving the car. Am I naive? Well, I, I don't Frank know. Drive? I think maybe it's just one of his mob Frank friends. Frank doesn't drive. Frank doesn't, I'm, I'm with Kaylee. Frank does not drive. Okay. That's one of his mob pals. That's that's one of his heavies. <laughs> <laughs> that's joey no. jojo from the bronx <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the driver says that's time <laughs> so the driver says what's the problem so he doesn't even turn around he's still staring straight ahead he says what's the problem and mia said i just started babbling i said i'm afraid he's gonna have me killed have or somebody else do it he'll have me run o- run off the road she said at the time, Woody, her ex-husband, seemed so powerful. She said his driver on the movie was a teamster. The driver said, huh, the teamsters, don't worry about it. We own, own the, teamsters. the teamsters. God, right, damn right, especially then. They really did. He wasn't lying. That's Jimmy Hoffa, the guy that made Annie literally, Hall. <laughs> that was literally Jimmy Hoffa time. So, yeah, he's right. So we he gave her names and phone numbers in three cities to call should she ever feel in danger oh my god this is incredible i would have gone to all those three series just to test them all out (laughs) so then at this point in in the interview because she's all like oh well you know we never split up and you know we were still really really close so the interviewer point blank says listen is ronan the son of frank sinatra Uh, uh, and her reply in one word was possibly (laughs) I think that's Ronan's middle name. <laughs> See, here's the thing about Ronan's this. Like, Nancy Sinatra has always called bullshit on this. She said she was probably looking when she said it, and my dad had had a vasectomy and like before Ronan was born. I think it must be so weird if you are Ronan Ronan Farrow to be like knowing that like the majority of the world is just they need to think that Frank Sinatra is your dad. Like it just makes us all feel better. It's like saying Santa Claus is real. That. You think him and Prince Harry talk about how everyone thinks that <laughs> you, you have a different father? It's like a little club for famous men with the wrong fathers. And they all Even if he together. is like deliberately kind of screwing up his face to make that happen, like I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Ronan Farrow, just like in terms of celebrity offspring who, given all of the circumstances of his upbringing, and not just what happened to Dylan Farrow, who I 100% believe, but also, you know, Mia Farrow herself, as she has, I believe, something like 14 or 15 kids, 10 of whom are adopted, you know, that he has kind of come out of it in one piece and is also, I think being a celebrity kid with a really controversial parentage is the ultimate background for being a celebrity journalist because no one can hold anything against you if you've read his book that he wrote about his in, in investigating harvey weinstein like weinstein's would heavies would call him up and be like we're going to dig into your past and he was like wow everyone knows everything you have nothing against everyone me knows my it's past. all yeah. out there yeah what skeletons can you bring out it's so true it's so true it, it, it does make you completely vulnerable and therefore and i love that he's now kind of like when something terrible happens in hollywood you're just kind of hoping that he'll be the one that writes about it to destroy those men's lives i'm you know you know he's a good ally to have yeah, on that totally. side so you know well so before we um say goodbye to this couple a very sort of sweet moment was revealed that when Frank Sinatra died, obviously Mia and her family were at the funeral. Mia put a note and her wedding ring in his casket. And then she was asked, was he the great love of your life? And she said, yes. Oh, that's cute. That's sweet, but also it's not like the bar is high. (laughs) 
also it's like true. good on her for giving up the wedding ring because the ring was fucking stunning mm, <laughs> yeah. i'd have hung on to that like how j-lo's held on to every engagement rag and it's like the infinity stones now i, I would not be getting rid of that <laughs> so we know we're we're fans of them both but ultimately Kaylee, in a, uh, a split, there is a winner, there is a loser. In the great split between Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra, who won? Who thrived and who simply survived? I think in the short term, Mia was the one that thrived because she goes on and becomes a big star. She hangs out with the coolest people, does the coolest things, is very much of the moment. Sinatra's legend was already secure by this point in time. He seems to have settled down nicely with wife number four. But it's really hard to kind of claim someone as like the ultimate winner in a story when it it becomes as unbearably difficult as it does for Mia Farrow. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are people to this day who think that she is like the modern day Medea, that she is a liar. You know, I hang around in a lot of film forums and talk to a lot of film people and like people still go nuts for Woody Allen. They still love him. They still fully support him. So in that sense, like I don't know, I watched the documentary Dylan versus Farrell uh, versus Allen that was on HBO. Mm-hmm. I think it was on Sky in this country. There's a moment where someone asks her, "Are you still afraid of Woody Allen?" And she like her eyes tear up and she just sort of nods and realizes this woman has got mm-hmm. she's been through a lot. So I I completely understand you know whether it was she you know he was the great love of her life or not. I totally get why she holds on to this kind of this rosy portrait of the older man who swept her and her cat off of her feet. Um, And was always protective to the end, according to her as well. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, like, sometimes you just need a guy in your corner who will break someone's legs. You're not supposed to condone violence. I know that. But, you know, Mm. the old ways still work for a reason. Yeah. Um, And I think she's just such a fascinating person of her time in that sense. So when it comes to, like celebrity culture and celebrity couples and these images we have of like the young women who get with the older men like i think she stands really interestingly as like the prime example of that trend but also a really interesting subversion of it there is a strange kind of sweetness to it underneath all of the just sort of like friendly qualities and unbearable sadness of it i started i wanted to do a really cheerful couple and it's kind of ended here hasn't it (laughs) Uh, but there's something very wholesome. I think there's just something very wholesome about it's it. It's really like, wholesome, then you wouldn't think. Yeah. Like, all the things considered. I think what that relationship could have been is mm-hmm. a very enticing image. Like, what if they had lasted and through all, through huge political changes, through the massive shifts in Hollywood, what if the bright, young, hot new star of New Hollywood was still with the gentleman of the board, you know? This, I think this is the kind of relationship that really probably only could have happened at this really specific moment in time. You know, you certainly couldn't do this now. Or you certainly wouldn't be able to have the same kind of aura around it. I think it you would you would be besieged by think pieces on how this age gap is abusive, actually, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So. Oh, God, totally, yeah. Well, speaking of iconic couples, we've got a final question to ask you about an iconic person. We do, Kayla. It's come to that time. We have to ask you, as we ask all our guests, that there is one incredible woman out there who's unbelievably still single. And while we always say we don't think she needs anyone, we do very much think she deserves to be loved. So put your thinking cap on. Can you think of anyone who can match up to the one, the only, Cher? Ooh. Who could, who could live up to? Gender is not an issue. If they are taken, that's also okay. We believe any partner would gladly step aside to let their mm-hmm. beloved be beloved with Cher. So well, Madonna's just possibly... Well, I say she's an I mean, they hate each other, so dating. I doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, what a great fairy tale story. You know, the divas come together in, yeah. in Vegas and make magic. I mean, make I like Mamma Mia free together, you know? All that hatred to it could, could lead to a lot of, like, sexual tension as well. Yeah. And Madonna's just all, come all out, that so... Bob Mackie, all of that surgery, all of those banging All tunes, the Jean-Paul Gaultier. Like, oh, yes. a lot. And, uh, all, and they both only have one name. So there would there'd be no like worry about who's taking the last name. There is no last name. It's great. <laughs> Just Madonna and Cher forever. Speaking of uh, the Rat Pack, imagine that Vegas show. Madonna and Cher. My God. Dude, talk about gay Christmas. <laughs> He's Louise. You're saying the Mamma Mia sequel will be astonishing. Oh, outstanding. Uh- Oh, well done. God. Good choice. Thank you so oh. much for being here with us today, Katie. Oh, where, thank you. Where can so our listeners much. find more of you? Well, thank you for having me. This is great fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kayleanne. You can find my work 
primarily on pajiba.com. This week I've written about the Try Guys a lot. Sorry if you're over that already. Uh, but you can find my work scattered all around the place on like Slash Film and IGN and Uproxx, Paste. Um, I will write for anyone that pays me, to be honest. She's everywhere, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have a brilliant newsletter. I do. It's on semi-hiatus right now just because I've been so busy with uh, work. But it's called The Gossip Reading Club. You can find it on letterdrop.com. And basically every issue I pick, a piece of celebrity reporting or a profile or interview, and I kind of offer a deep read analysis of it. So I've done everything from the reve- the first reveal of Suri Cruz and Vanity Fair to the diary of Heath Ledger that someone made up bef- after he died as like a profile of him mm. to... Uh, recent pieces on people like Angelina Jolie and Chrissy Teigen and uh, I'm currently working on a piece on Madonna actually so I will hopefully get that finished oh, amazing. Oh, no wonder she's amazing. on Madonna's sex era I'm very excited I it's think- one, of my, one of my great celebrity obsessions is Madonna's sex book so. yeah it was a big time it was a big time to be alive yeah. <laughs> I think there's a big crossover in our the newsletter and arts Indeed, our sounds like demographic it. I, I will get a new issue soon um, but there's but- enough of a back catalogue of your board you can go check out things on that so <laughs> definitely go read it well thank you so much thank, thank you thank you so much Katie thank you The Way They Were is an Amanda Redman production produced by Abby Weaver and Amanda Redman we want to hear your celebrity couple crush so Email us on thewaytheywerepod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at thewaytheywerepod and we're on Instagram at thewaytheywerepodcast. And thanks to you for listening. Until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye. The, the way, way they, they were. were.